it never ceases to amaze me how when you are sitting there and you know that you've got something on your heart to bring and everything that happens beforehand, I feel like basically means I could just go home. <laughs> no, Jeff, you stay there. <laughs> um, I don't know if you've noticed recently that there's been a flow and emphasis of God's word. It's come through us both through the speakers that have been in and also through prophetic words that have been coming. And I'm going to read these because I don't want to get them wrong. So Steve Doricott came when Matthew Ling was here speaking to us and he brought a prophetic word and I'm summarizing it. But it basically said, my divine presence has come home in you. You are carriers of the divine presence. You live life in a new dimension. I am raising the bar, and tomorrow I will do more. And all I ask from you is one word, and it's this, that every time I speak to you, you say yes. Every time I speak to you, you say yes. And there have been separate encouragements, too many for me to go through, that have been encouraging us to be consciously carrying his presence into and throughout our everyday lives. And Jean came this morning and said exactly that, that we should be impacting the world around us. Rodrigo, when he was saying goodbye from the YWAM team and saying about what they've been doing, a couple of times when he was saying that, he said, it's just in your normal everyday life, just in your normal everyday life. And then Matthew Ling comes to us. God has a purpose for every day of your life. It's his purpose. So what can I do today that fulfills part of God's great eternal purpose? What can I say that will bring words of eternal life? He talked about us needing to be convinced and convicted of who we are and the access that we have to him. That we as a prophetic people show what Jesus is like every single day to the world when we're blown by the Spirit, when we drink deeper, and when we say yes. Jeff comes last week. I don't know if you remember the picture he gave us of a room in the mansion which is full of these boxes and the angels ushering us into our room. And uh, we're like, well, what are all these boxes for? What on earth is this about? And Jeff was telling us that God gives his gifts for us to be using now, that we don't store them up in heaven. That's not where they're supposed to be. We flow with them. We don't lock them out. They flow out of us. Dave Kane talked to us about baptism in the spirit and the release of power. Richard Jones, the importance of speaking in tongues. And even just last week and again this morning, KB told us about getting out of the boat. Sarah came and talked about putting on glasses of faith. It seems to me that God is saying something really specific to us. He's creating a base of knowledge and understanding of how and why we are carriers of his presence. We're getting all this teaching all about the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit wants to do in us and through us. But it's not just theoretical. It's an equipping to push, to push us out of the nest. For those of us that were here at the prayer meeting, we were reminded of all the different prophetic words over the church. And one of them is that we will be pushed out of the nest that it's going to lead us into action. When we understand who he is and what his purposes are and who we are because of who he is, we will then play our part and play it effectively. 
So if all of this is true, everything that we've been hearing about, and we believe that we have all that we need, why don't we always respond to the promptings of the Holy Spirit? Why don't we always do that? Why do we take some opportunities and miss out on others? Unless it's just me. I know for me, sometimes Holy Spirit prompts me and I'm on it. And other times, the Holy Spirit prompts me and I can come up with absolutely every excuse under the sun why I'm not going to move and do what he asks me to do. And I tend to think that if we were all moving out as we were prompted to each and every time, in the way that he prompts us each and every time, whatever that is, this place would be absolutely bursting at the seams. We would be full to overflowing if we were truly responding to everything he prompts us. So part of it, I believe, is that we have this ongoing conscious awareness of who God is and his purposes at the front of our mind each and every day. And for me, that means I have to reset each and every day. And mainly, often, probably every day, every part of each and every day. I find if I just focus in in the morning, by sometime in the afternoon, because life's busy and I've got stuff to do, I forget. So I have to keep reminding myself that I'm here and I'm working out his purpose. But I think there are other reasons why we don't respond as well. So we're going to go into Judges. Let me see if I can work this thing. Does that work? Yes. We're going into Judges. We're going to read the account of Deborah. It's quite long. I'm reading from the Passion Translation, and we're going to read the whole of the account, and then we're going to jump through bits of the victory song at the end. Here we go. After Ehud died, the Israelites returned to doing evil before the eyes of Yahweh. So he surrendered them to King Jabin of Canaan, who ruled from Hazor. His army commander Sisera established his base in Harasheth of the Gentiles. Jabin had 900 chariots with iron-rimmed wheels, and he ruthlessly oppressed Israel for 20 years. Then the Israelites, with shattered hearts, cried out to Yahweh for help. God raised up Deborah to lead Israel as a champion deliverer. Quite often you read the word judge. It isn't what we think of a judge. It's far more than that. Deborah was somebody, and the judges are people, who deliver Israel out of evil oppression. When Israel's heart turns back to God, they lead the people into revival. They take people into a positive place. So she's a champion deliverer. She was a prophetess and a fiery woman. She presided as Israel's judge under the palm of Deborah, a certain palm tree between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the people of Israel came to her for wise decisions. One day, she sent for Barak, son of Abinoam, from the city of Kadesh in Naphtali, and said to him, Yahweh, the God of Israel, commands you, go, deploy 10,000 men from the tribes of Naphtali and Zebulun, and march to Mount Tabor. I will draw Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, to fight against you at the Kishon River. He will have his many chariots and soldiers, but I will give you victory over him. Barak replied, I will go if you go with me, but if you don't go with me, I won't go either. Very well, she answered, I will go with you, but you will receive no glory in the victory because Yahweh will hand over Sisera to a woman. So Deborah set off for Gadesh with Barak. 
Barak summoned the tribes of Zebulun and Naphtali to Kadesh, and 10,000 warriors followed him, and Deborah also. Now Heber the Kenite migrated away from the other Kenites, the descendants of Hobab, Moses' father-in-law, and was living close to Kadesh near the oak tree at Zainanim. When Sisera found out that Barak, son of Abinoam, was marching towards Mount Tabor, he gathered together his 900 iron-rimmed chariots, all his soldiers, and sent them from Harasheth of the Gentiles to the Kishon River. Deborah prophesied to Barak, Today, Yahweh has given you victory over Sisera. Go, Yahweh is marching out before you. Immediately, Barak charged down from Mount Tabor with his 10,000 warriors. Yahweh threw Sisera and his army into confusion before the onslaught of Barak and his men. Sisera and all his chariots and men were overwhelmed. He leapt from his chariot and fled on foot. Barak pursued the other chariots and the army to Harasheth of the Gentiles until Sisera's whole army was killed by the sword, and only Sisera survived. He ran for his life to the tent of Jael, wife of Heber the Kenite, for there was friendship between King Jabin of Hazor and the family of Heber the Kenite. Jael came out of her tent to greet Sisera and said to him, Come in, my lord, come in here. You have nothing to fear. As soon as he entered her tent, she hid him under a blanket. Sisera said to her, I am so thirsty, please let me have some water. So she opened a skin of milk, gave him some to drink, and covered him again. He said to her, stand at the entrance of your tent. If anybody comes and asks you if there is anyone here, tell them no. And exhausted, he fell fast asleep under the blanket. While he slept, Jael, wife of Heber, took a tent peg in one hand and a hammer in the other and tiptoed over to where he was lying. With a crushing blow, she drove the tent peg through his temple until it went down into the ground. He was dead. (laughs) That's not a great surprise, is it really? (laughs) Just then, (laughs) Barak arrived in pursuit of Sisera. Jael went out of her tent to greet him and said, Come, let me show you the man you are looking for. He went inside with her, and there was Sisera lying dead with a tent peg through his temple. On that day, God humiliated King Jabin of Canaan before the Israelites. The hand of the Israelites pressed harder and harder against King Jabin of Canaan until there was nothing left of him but a memory. Deborah and Barak, son of Abinoam, sang this victory song. Blessings be to Yahweh, who gave us victory today. For the people answered the call, and Israel threw off what once held us back. And jumping down to verse 13. Yahweh's people came to me to fight against the mighty ones. You men of Ephraim came out to the valley. Your brother Benjamin joined your ranks. Leaders came from Manasseh and from Zebulun, those who hold the ruler's staff. Issachar's princes rallied to Deborah. Issachar stood fast alongside Barak, rushing into the valley under Barak's command. While among Reuben's clan, there was great searching of heart. Reuben, why do you remain by the sheepfolds, listening for the shepherds to whistle for their flocks? Gad played it safe and stayed east of the Jordan. Dan lingered near their ships, while Asher kept their distance and stayed by the coast, safe and secure in their harbour. 
But Zebulun and Naphtali defied death and risked it all on the heights of the battlefield. And jumping again down to verse 28. Sisera's mother waited for him at her window. She gazed from behind the lattice and lamented, Why is the clatter of his chariot so late in coming? Why are his horses so slow to return? The wisest of her princesses replied, Indeed, she even thought to herself, They must be gathering and dividing the spoils, a slave girl or two for each man, colourful cloth and garments as plunder for Sisera, two colourful garments embroidered, richly embroidered garments for my neck. It's a wonderful story, isn't it? Full of action and all different characters. And there are four that I want to use this morning to bring out things about responding when God speaks. Oh, mustn't forget to press the button. Oh, too far. There we go. Deborah. What I believe we learn through Deborah is that we need to know who we are. Question comes, whose definition do we believe when we think of ourselves? Do we really define ourselves based on what God says? Or do we define ourselves based on what we think? The root of the word Deborah means oracle or word or to speak. She's also described as this fiery woman. And she lives up to her name. It describes who she is and it describes exactly what she does. She rules as this prophetess. She speaks out the now word of God. She commands, she directs, she brings ruling and judgment. But she's also a woman of action who doesn't delay in responding. And when I start reading this story, I start off with this picture of Deborah as this almost regal, refined, um, sort of uh, very carefully thought and pondering, that sort of character, sort of dishing out these decrees and things. And it's all very, whatever that word is for, whatever that is. But then I've got this picture of Deborah on this horse, riding into battle, full pelt into battle, sword in hand, hair flowing, cloak billowing, and it's completely different than this first picture that I've got. But that's who she is. She's a woman of word, but she's also a woman of action. So who do you believe when you think about yourself? We haven't got time to go through scripture, but we know there are so many things in scripture that describe who we are, that we're the royal priesthood, that we're joint heirs with Christ, that we're more than conquerors, that we're fearfully and wonderfully made. Do we pick the bits that we're happy believing, or do we dare to believe that what God says is actually true? And then are we willing to both hear and respond? Are we willing to say yes and really play an active part in what God is doing? Because whether we like it or not, we are all on the front line. There are no exceptions. We have equal share in his promises. We can all believe everything that he says. And the danger is that if we start to define ourselves as anything less than God sees us, anything less than God sees us, we start to limit the view of the part that we think we can play. And the Holy Spirit comes along and says, Ali, go and do that. And I go, no, I can't do that. That's not something I can do. But God is not going to ask us to do things that we can't do. 
I have never, never had a time when I've stepped out that God hasn't gone with me. It might have been uncomfortable, it might have been daunting, it might have been challenging. I might not have got the response that maybe I was expecting, but I have never, ever been left on my own. He has always, always been there with me. So you read this story and you're reading about Deborah and it says, let's go back a bit. Oops, too far. When Barak says that he won't go unless she goes with him, part of her answer is, you will receive no glory in the victory because Yahweh will hand over Sisera to a woman. So you've got this woman, she's brought this word of God, he's refusing to go without her, she's off going with him. You'd be quite rightly, um, I think, to think that maybe she's going to fulfill this word. But no, we are introduced into one of my favorite characters in the Bible, and it's a woman called Jael. And the thing that she teaches us is that we should never, never discount ourselves. Her name means climbing or mountain goat. <laughs> and we're not going up mountains, Jeff, don't panic. <laughs> climbing or mountain goat. And as soon as you start to picture that, you picture a tougher place, somewhere that's physically demanding, somewhere that's an uphill struggle. Her husband has made allegiances completely against God's instruction. He's aligned them and made friendships with completely the wrong people. And for Jael, that has removed her from her clan, it's removed her from her family, it's removed her from her people. She is completely segregated and displaced from where she ought to be. It's a situation and a circumstance that is not of her making, and she is sidelined and she is outcast. It is a tough place to be. And then we read this method of killing Sisera, and it sounds really brutal. Well, it is brutal, isn't it? But it sounds really brutal, particularly because it's carried out by a woman. And when they talk about tent pegs and hammers, we're not talking about tent peg and hammer. We're talking about tent peg, stake, the sort of thing you use to put down a marquee. If you think the land that they're bashing it into, it's got to really hold. And you're talking whacking great big sledgehammery thing. If I had them, I would have bought them. But it's this massive stake and this massive thing that she's whacking it with. So she's got to be used to physical demanding work. You've got to have some oomph behind you to whack this. I'm not, not trying to dwell on this, but to whack it so hard, it goes straight through his head so much that it ends up rooted in the ground and stuck. She's got to be quite a physical woman. And what she does is she uses exactly what she has to hand and exactly what she is used to using. She picks up things that are familiar to her and comfortable that she knows she can use. A bit like with David and Goliath, when they put all the armor on David, remember, and they give him a sword, and he's like, seriously? I can hardly walk in this. I can hardly pick the sword up, takes it all off, goes into a seemingly impossible situation, just as he is, with a slingshot and picks up his stones, and he brings the word of God. He fulfills the word of God. So for us, we should never discount ourselves. When we are consciously aware of his presence, God will use us to bring and fulfill his word, even if we are in the bleakest of situations, and even if they are not of our making. He will use us exactly where we are with exactly what we have. We are never, never inadequate to the task. 
The third person is the mother of Sisera. She is sort of an imagined picture in Deborah and Barak's song. But for me, she talks to us about the importance of not being distracted. This is a, a mature enough woman that she's got an adult son who is out commanding armies. We're not talking about a teenager. She's not an, like a young adult. She's got to be old enough that she has this son. And surely, even though the God that we're talking about isn't her God, because she lives in the land with the Israelites, surely she would understand that when they're doing well, when they're following somebody who is leading them, when they're not under oppression and being ruled by somebody else, everything goes right for them. They are in a good place. Things go well for them. So this son that she's lamenting hasn't returned. He was never going to return. They have gone up against the army of God who are fighting on the word of God. And when we go out and we're fighting on the word of God, we will have victory as well. But you have this woman who is gazing and she's wondering and she's pondering and she's lamenting and she's completely caught up in her thoughts. She's thinking that the delay is due to the size of the plunder. She's thinking about material things. She's thinking about possessions and the stuff that's going to be brought back. She's convincing herself of all the positives and she's listening and agreeing with the wisest of princesses. So there's a danger of distraction. When we don't have God's purposes at the forefront, the danger is that we start to dwell on other things. We start to get caught up in other things. Other things take on an importance that they shouldn't. But there's also the question of whose words do we listen to? David teaches us so well on this, doesn't he? Both for ourselves in our thoughts that we can spiral down into places that we shouldn't go. But who do we have as our closest friends and advisors? Do we have people alongside us like this so-called wisest of princess who is just going to tell us exactly what we want to hear and agree with us? Or do we have people that will come alongside when they need to and tell us what God is saying to us, challenge us, speak God's heart into our life? We all need people like that. And the final character is Barak. And what Barak teaches us is not to delay, not to hesitate. It's very, very clear that he is the one who is commanded to go. Deborah says to him, Yahweh, the God of Israel, commands you, go. That's pretty black and white, isn't it? It's pretty obvious. But to all intent and purpose, he says no. His reply is, I will go if you go with me, but if you don't go with me, I won't go either. He's putting um, clauses around whether or not he'll obey God. And it can be the same for us. When we're prompted by the Holy Spirit, we can, well, I can come up with all kinds of reasons and excuses not to do what I'm being asked. But I know for me, in reality, I'm saying no. I am disobeying. And the difference for us is that we have the Holy Spirit. That's what we've been learning about for all these weeks. He is in us and he goes with us. But I love verse 14. It says, when Deborah prophesied to Barak, so they've ridden off and they're about to go into proper battle, she says again, today Yahweh has given you victory over Sisera, go. And the next um, word in the passion is immediately. Immediately, he heard again and he went. 
And the wonderful thing with our God is that when we miss it, if we come back to him, if we say that we're sorry, if we ask for more opportunity, God will give us more opportunity. And when you think of the circumstances where you haven't responded after the events, you sort of think, what was the worst that could actually have happened? I had one of these really quite recently. Mike and I were in a supermarket together, which is really unusual. We don't normally shop together. Mike was sorting out paying. And I glanced up, and there was a woman about four aisles along. And she was giving the um, cashier person things back and asking her to put them back through the till. And I thought, oh, she's obviously trying to buy too much and she can't afford to buy everything. And into my head dropped a thought, well, go and pay then. Just go and pay. I mean, this is not difficult, is it? This is not God saying to me, go and lay hands on that person and raise them from the dead. This is just simply go and pay. It's an act of kindness. And I hesitated. And as soon as I hesitated, all the thoughts start coming in. Well, she might be embarrassed. If I go and offer to pay for her, she might be embarrassed. Or maybe the people in the queue. Or maybe the cashier. And how am I going? And all this happens. And the reason that I hesitated is I forgot who he was. I forgot who I am. I forgot what God's purposes are. And I forgot that I always tell God, every time you give me opportunity, I will respond. I will say yes. I know for me, one of the most dangerous things to do is to think. (laughs) When the Holy Spirit tells me to do something, I need to disconnect my brain and not think and just act. There's a, uh, I don't know if it's like a proverb that says, he who hesitates is lost. And what it means is, a person who spends too long deliberating about what to do loses the opportunity to act altogether. The person who spends too long deliberating about what to do loses the opportunity to act altogether. And that is exactly what happened for me with that woman. I'd seen her, I glanced down, it can't be more than a minute and a half, it probably wasn't anywhere near that, and then as I think, no, 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 I just need to go and do this, I look up and she is walking out of the shop. The opportunity to go and pay, the opportunity to go and do what I'd been asked to do, just that simple thing, had gone. And sometimes we ask, how do we know it's God? How do we know it's the Holy Spirit prompting? Arna talked to us about this, didn't he, in one of the midweek things, about how it's personal to each one of us. But if you hear and you step out, and you hear and you step out, and you hear and you step out, you will learn how the Holy Spirit speaks to you. It's never that I don't believe it's the Holy Spirit speaking to me that I don't step out. I know how he speaks to me. And for me, one of the things is it's never quite my standard language. There's a nuance of phrase. There's a word that I wouldn't use. And most of the time, it is not something that I'm comfortable doing. There's a bit of an edge to it. There's something that makes your heart start to beat that bit faster, makes you tremble inside. But what about if we simply lack desire? What about if we're honest, we'd rather not step out? What about if we prefer to go through life and we want to be 
uh, people that love Jesus. We want to worship and praise him. We want to get together with other Christians and share things. We're quite happy to do good works. We're quite happy maybe even on a Sunday morning to get up and say something. But when the Holy Spirit comes to us and we are out there and says, go and do something, I really believe for some of us that we lack the desire. We don't actually want to do that. But the great commission of Jesus is that for each and every one of us, each and every one of us goes with his spirit full of him into the world to make disciples. And it's a question of lordship. If we are walking close to God, it is his heart that the whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God, that all come to him. And if it's God's heart and the Holy Spirit is living in us, it will be our heart as well. We will want to do it. And if we don't, if we're honest and say, there are some times, maybe a lot of the time, when I don't want to do that, we need to repent and we need to refocus and we need to say to God, yes. Might not be what you want to do, but because of who we are and because of what he's done for us, and because we have given him our hearts and we've given him our lives, that's what we should be doing. It's always our choice whether we respond or not. But he will ask and he will expect us to respond and do what he asks us to do. And he's never going to stop speaking, is he? Because he is a speaking God. That is his nature. But I really believe that we're at a time, and again, we've heard it a bit already this morning, it's a time to throw stuff off, leave behind anything and everything that holds us back, and to take our place fully in his purpose. In chapter 5, verse 2, in the Passion, it says, The people answered the call. Israel threw off what once held us back. They heard something. They answered they forgot about all the stuff that might cause a blockage or a stoppage or anything else they might doing, and they answered the call. When you read the victory song, it's quite interesting because although God says to um, Deborah, Naphtali and Zebulun, there's all these other tribes that come and join in. They want to be there. They want to be involved in the purposes of God. But there are four that don't. They don't respond. Well, they do respond, but they don't respond by coming into battle. Reuben, it talks about them looking after their sheep. They are more concerned about the material. They are more concerned about the possessions. That is what is at the forefront of their mind. It talks of Gad, that Gad played safe. It's almost that they considered joining in, but decided not to. Dan lingered near the ships which again reminds me of hesitation. And Asher kept a distance, safe and secure in the harbour, almost this unwillingness to move, almost this lack of desire. But the final verse in that bit says, those who went triumphed because they did not love or cling to their own lives. We are not our own. We have a commander-in-chief who is going to ask us to do things and we need to learn to respond and to obey. So we started with the prophetic word that Steve Doricott bought. All I ask of you is one word, and it's this, that every time I speak, you say yes. Mike and I weren't at that meeting, but we've watched it since. 
on the catch-up thing, and you can hear people saying yes. And Matthew Ling then spoke, and he mentioned it a couple of times, and you could hear people saying yes. And we were at the midweek meeting uh, when Matthew was doing the workshop on prophecy, and he mentioned it again, and you could hear people saying yes. But I believe that God wants to come this morning and say, do we really understand what we're saying yes to? We are not saying yes to theoretical teaching. We're not saying yes to being equipped. We're not saying yes to understanding. What we're actually saying yes to is action and response whenever he speaks, whenever he speaks. So it's a time for us to throw off that which holds us back. Whose definition do we believe when we think of ourselves? Do we discount ourselves? Do we get distracted? Do we delay? Do we lack desire? We're going to have an opportunity to respond. The worship team are going to come back up. We're going to sing a song that's entitled For the Sake of the World. It starts off, I'm laying down my life. I'm giving up control. I am never looking back. I surrender all. I am living for your glory on the earth. Those are dangerous words to sing if you don't mean them. I'm laying down my life. I'm giving up control. I'm never looking back. I surrender all. I'm living for your glory on the earth. And if you're somebody this morning and you would identify with lacking the desire, I believe as you sing the second bit, God will kindle something in your heart, a desire to reach out to people, to respond to his Holy Spirit. This passion in my heart, this stirring in my soul, to see the nations rise for all the world to know, I am living for your glory on the earth.